The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Gym Class All-Stars. We are your Gym Class All-Stars, here to give you our opinions on this week's happenings in the world of sports. We're going to start out with a huge one. The NFL season is back. Thursday night football, Chiefs versus Texans. Football's back. Alex, how excited were you? Football's back, baby. I was so excited, so happy to see Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels back at it again to deliver some honestly much-needed commentary on football. Say what you want about Chris Collinsworth. I miss hearing his voice. I miss Al Michaels, and I was glad to get him back last night. I know. I completely agree. At some point, the sweet sound of an announcer is just soothing. Um, going into the game itself, uh, the, the defending Super Bowl champions, Kansas City Chiefs, came out and kind of showed everybody why they're the defending Super Bowl champions. Uh, most notably, the performance from rookie running back Clyde Edwards-Alaire went for 138 yards and his first career touchdown. How good did he look in his rookie debut? Phenomenal. A very good and useful first-round pick by the Chiefs. He's a stud, and he was a stud in college. He looked great last night. I think the prop bet was he had over, would have over 52 yards, and he had over 100 easily and touchdown. He was he looked great. He was a sleeper for fantasy football, and he's living up to it thus far. Yeah, no, I'll be completely honest. I had really never even heard of the guy until he went number three overall in my fantasy draft. And I was sitting here like, what, what, what just happened? Who just lost the league? And it's really who just won the league, apparently. Um, he had a fantastic, fantastic showing. Pat Mahomes threw three touchdowns, looked pretty true to form. On the other end, though, didn't quite click as well as you would hope for Houston. Any, uh, or what are the uh, immediate concerns you saw from Houston as a whole yesterday? I don't have any real concerns for Houston. I know that sounds weird. David Johnson looked very reasonable as a running back. I wouldn't have traded him for DeAndre Hopkins. Well, I'm sorry, I wouldn't have traded DeAndre Hopkins for him. But I think there's a lot of upside to the Texans. They just looked outmatched. Like, the Chiefs look too good. They look so much better than everyone. I still think the Texans look decent. But the Chiefs are scary. They have put everyone in the AFC on notice but I still think the Texans are going to win the division like they have a lot of good weapons Deshaun Watson looked very reasonable besides that one interception he threw I think the future's bright for them to be honest yeah I mean for for a receiving core that lost DeAndre Hopkins you know a top two or three receiver in the NFL to to go out and have you know Brandon Cooks Will Fuller Kenny Stills Randall Cobb I mean these are all names that we've heard these these are all solid receivers that that are threats in their own way there, there's a lot to look forward to yet. Yeah, I think you're right. The, the Chiefs just might not have been the, the best sample size for, for Houston to start out the year. Some other news in the NFL that happened. Adrian Peterson, as we mentioned last week, was released by the Washington football team, signed with the Detroit Lions, a team with a lot of running backs now, but very young core. What do you think uh, Adrian Peterson brings at this point in his career to that team? Worst case scenario brings veteran leadership and experience. Guy's been through... A lot of different teams, a lot of different locker rooms has seen a lot in his 10-plus year career. He'll be able to give the young guys some help. 
it's always a good pickup to have someone like Adrian Peterson for just veteran experience on the best, you know, best case scenario. He becomes a starter. He is a thousand yard rusher and the lions make the playoffs. Do I think that'll happen? Probably not, but I think he could be very useful, especially in tandem with other running backs. Yeah. Well, that, that idea of the thousand yard rush will help one of my future arguments later today. Um, But (laughs) no, yeah, the, the lions running back system got beat up last year, constantly hurt. I don't know if they ever even had somebody start more than, you know, three games in a row. Uh, so, so having that extra depth, I think you're completely right, especially from a veteran like Peterson can really only benefit them. And some other news from running backs around the league, Devonte Freeman, who went to, he had a visit, a meeting with the Jacksonville Jaguars did not end up signing a contract. Well, why, why do you think this guy isn't on a roster yet? I mean, he, he had some great years with the Atlanta Falcons. Let's role play a bit, Robbie, and let's not make it weird. So I am the owner of the Jaguars, or the GM in this case. You are Devontae Freeman. You're trying to sell yourself to me. Be like, listen, I'm going to make this team good. I'm going to be a thousand-yard rusher, really help with Minshew's development, really keep the load off him. And I, sitting there as a GM, go, no. And you're like, why? Why would you do that? And all I simply say is, we don't want good players here. That's all I have to say. I really – that baffles me unless Freeman has some underlying, like, health issues. I really think they're just in tank mode. Like, they're going full trust-the-process mode. We'll see. But I think the Jaguars are not going to be a good team this year. Yeah, the roster's looking a little rough. <laughs> to traded and released a lot of key players. Honestly, I think this might end up being better for Devontae Freeman – not being in a system with not a lot of tools to help him be successful. But I, I think if he does find a spot on a team with a little more firepower, he could end up having still a really good season. I mean, he's a bigger back. He's a goal line back, but he can also, he can run through you. He will, he will get you, you know, five to eight yards of carry. And that's pretty great. There's a lot of teams that would want that. And I think it's just a matter of time before Devonte ends up signing one of his, uh, one of these next contracts. He'd be a very useful tandem running back. Having him with some other – keep him with a younger guy who maybe is more of a flash in the pan type person, like usually bigger runs, quick speed, and then he gets the kind of short yardage situations and fourth and one, third and one, stuff like that. I think that's a pretty useful tool for him. The question is how much does he want? And that's been kind of the issue with running backs in general. Yeah, running backs – Always love to ask for money, but it's such a hard position to pay because they're con- – I mean, they're hit every single down, every single play. Really, really tough. But, you know, we'll see what happens with Devontae Freeman. Um, looking forward, we got a full slate of NFL games on coming up on Sunday and Monday night, respectively. We're going to start out going through a couple of the, the key matchups we wanted to select. Your Philadelphia Eagles open up the season against the Washington football team. What do you expect to see out of a team that, you know, was beat up at the end of the year but looks to bounce back? First of all, go Birds. I think the Eagles will win this game. My imagination is saying that depending on what side Chase Young lines up on, if he lines up against Jason Peters, Carson Wentz is going to get sacked like five times and Chase Young's going to look like a stud. If he's lined up against Lane Johnson, I think will be a little bit better because Lane Johnson's a better tackle than Peters is because Peters is getting old. I'm a little concerned just with the offensive line. I think the Eagles will still win. I don't think the Washington football team 
has that great of players to compensate for what the Eagles have, but we'll see. I think the Eagles will start the season one. No, though. That's my prediction. I think that's a solid prediction there. Moving down the list, rivalry games all the way through Packers and Vikings, one of the biggest rivalries in football. Some, you know, some roster turnover through the, for, for the Vikings, no Stefan Diggs anymore. Uh, is feeling enough to, to have that team be successful enough to maybe win that division over what I assume would be the Packers. The Vikings are always an enigma for me because I always want to discredit them. Even the year they went to the NFC Championship against the Eagles, Case Keenum kind of broke out and played phenomenal. That defense looked great that year. Stephon Diggs kind of came into his own. Adam Thielen is a great receiver. Underrated in my opinion. I can only imagine that the Packers will really try and double him or make sure that Kirk Cousins can't get throws to him. But the Packers' defense, unless I miss something, sucks. <laughs> They're not great. I really think that game will just come down to some stupid play or some final drive. Where's the game at? Do you know? I believe it's in Minnesota. I'm going to say the Packers take a close one, but I could also see the Vikings winning. I'm a great prediction guy, aren't I? Oh, definitely, um, definitely. Both sides this are set. Happen, but... This could happen. I, I'm going to say mean, the Packers win. All right, all right. That, that's a good prediction there. You know, you, you were talking about how it could come down to one stupid thing, and I, I think Aaron Rodgers is the leading expert in one stupid thing going his way at the end of a football game. That's why. You can't discredit Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, the man just keeps producing. Speaking of quarterbacks who refuse to stop producing – Tom Brady and his brand-new Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense go up against Drew Brees and the high-powered Saints offense. Probably the most talked team about in this offseason is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Brady, Gronk, now Leonard Fournette. What, what's the ceiling? What's the floor for this team right now? The ceiling is a Super Bowl, quite frankly. They look like they've assembled a dream team-type roster. The floor is, though, they go under 500. I don't expect them to do that. I think they'll be a wild card team. I think this is the game of the week. Regardless of how it goes, this is what's going to be talked about Monday morning by TV shows, sports analysts, etc. I think the Saints will win this game. I think all that's going to happen is people are going to say, oh, the Viking, or sorry, the Buccaneers, they're washed up. Tom Brady's gone off the cliff, etc., etc., etc. Everything we do every year Tom Brady. And we're just going to kind of say Bucks are done. They suck. The Bucks will do fine. But I think the Saints are high-powered enough where they're going to win. It's also a Jameis Winston revenge game. Got to take that into account. <laughs> Definitely. Backup quarterbacks come in clutch, you know, telling you what to do. True. <laughs> the Saints just signed Alvin Kamara to a big deal, kind of quelled some rumoring trade talks that were around. Is this a, a time where the Saints could – come out of the NFC and maybe make a run at the Super Bowl? They're always a threat with Drew Brees. I don't know, though. They're not good in the playoffs, or at least they haven't been in clutch situations. You can argue all you want about the Rams-Saints thing, whatever. It happened. The Rams went to the Super Bowl. But between the Minneapolis Miracle, the 2018 Conference Championship game, when they had a chance to score in overtime and did not, we all neglect that. And on top of that, last year, losing to the Vikings in New Orleans. These losses aren't good. 
And, like, the Saints' defense looks great. I don't think they lost anyone of importance, at least as far as I'm concerned. They look scary, but I just don't know if they'll be able to clutch up in the playoffs, and that's all that matters. Oh, completely, completely. It's one thing to have success in the regular season. It's another thing to be able to carry your team in the postseason. So we'll see. Like you said, you know, they have some great weapons, Kamara, Michael Thomas, but, again, all about the playoffs. First Sunday night football matchup of the year is going to be the Dallas Cowboys and the Los Angeles Rams. What's to expect out of this matchup? That matchup is the best thing to see for both teams because I think one of those teams is going to have a breakout game and we're going to see how genuinely good they are. There's a lot of question marks with the Rams. I would say based off track, track record, there's a lot of questions with the Cowboys. I think one of those teams is going to have a breakout game. I unfortunately think it's going to be the Cowboys. But that game is going to really give us a show of what the NFC looks like. Are the Cowboys going to be decent? I don't know. I hope not. But I really, for the life of me, people want to discredit the Rams all they want. I think the Rams are a good team. I think they just had a bad year, and the bad year last year was a 9-7 and finish, which is not bad by any standard. It'll be very interesting. Also, SoFi Stadium, they finally finished it. $5 billion basically burned to produce this thing. $5 billion is insane. So I'm looking forward to seeing that stadium, and I think it'll really look good. Yeah, I think they're all looking forward to the eventual uh, reality where they can fill the stadium. I think that's the end goal here. But, yeah, no, that, that, that's a really intriguing matchup. Those are two teams who, like you said, I think underperformed a decent amount last year. And this is a really good chance to set a new precedent for their teams and their, their organizations for this upcoming season. So we'll see what comes out of that game. Uh, two Monday Night Football games, as it normally is in week one. The later game is going to be Titans-Broncos. And the first game, my Pittsburgh Steelers against one of your least favorite teams, the New York Giants. A lot of talk around this Giants offense. You know, they're young. They got Daniel Jones, who loves to throw the football. They got Saquon Barkley, who, you know, I used to run high school track against. I can attest to how fast he is. Very fast. And some nice young receivers. But the Pittsburgh Steelers had, I think, the second or third rated defense last year, and they are only getting better. Their young guys are, are starting to now have a few years in the league, and T.J. Watt is starting to look like a true – defensive of the year type player candidate. Um, do, do you see this game going in the favor of the Giants? Because, uh, you know, I, I think it's pretty hard for me to see this game going for the Giants. Before I start with that, what did Saquon run in the 100 when you lost to him? Well, so I, did, I actually didn't run against him in the 100. I ran against him in the, the 400. And I oh. ran, which at that point was a PR for me. It was 57 seconds, which was good enough for you know, one of the last few spots on the varsity roster. Thank you. Saquon ran a flat 50, which which that year would have qualified him in the top eight runners for the, for the state championship. In fact, he ended up finishing second place with a time of 49 seconds. Oh my God. I was a fast kid in high school. I was not Saquon Barkley fast. I mean, I probably would have run under no over 60. So props to you. And it's always a good story to tell. I think it's pretty interesting. So you've been a Steelers fan for a while, though. So you've been through the past years. They always have a pretty good football team. But one thing about the Steelers is they always play down to their competition or play up to their competition. I think this Monday night game is going to suck, quite frankly. I think the Steelers will win, but I just think they will not look good. I don't think the Giants look good. It's just going to be kind of a shit show game. And we'll move yeah, on. well, I mean, 
so for for the Steelers, it's a lot about figuring out what the offense is. The offense was the reason we weren't a playoff team last year. You know, no Ben Roethlisberger is is always tough, but neither of the other quarterbacks that played looked impressive at all. But then, you know, Juju became the number one receiver last year and didn't have a lot of success because of the lack of weapons around him. Now Deontay Johnson, James Washington, both in the, uh, have both been in the league for, for another year. They're both a little more comfortable with the system. I don't see a world where the Giants blow the Steelers out. I think you're right. I think this is going to be a closer game than, than maybe would seem on paper. But if there's going to be a blowout, it's going to be because Ben Roethlisberger knows exactly how this offense is supposed to work. And we just didn't get to see that at all last year because he missed the whole time. But do you think his crippling porn addiction will play a factor? I think it will. It's got to. I mean, I, I can't necessarily say it won't. I would, I would hope he can keep it in his pants enough to, to get the Steelers at least back into the postseason. We'll um, see Big Ben. We, we will see Big Ben indeed. So the standings in the MLB. Division leaders at the moment are the Tampa Bay Rays, the Oakland Athletics, and the Chicago White Sox, the, the hot young team. And the next few teams in, in the running for that, you know, those upper seeds, Cleveland Indians, Minnesota Twins, an eight-team playoff this year. So, so many more teams are going to get an opportunity. Those are the top of the top right now. And in the NL, the L.A. Dodgers, the best team in baseball at the moment, <laughs> red hot looking as scary as ever. San Diego Padres in their division have the second best record in the, in the MLB. And that, that one's kind of shocking to me, or not in the MLB, in the NL, excuse me. That one's shocking to me because San Diego, in my opinion, always been pegged as just like the, the you know, the shit stain of the league. They, they have never been good when I've been paying attention to baseball. So like kudos to them. Um, and then we have the Atlanta Braves, Chicago Cubs, and the red hot Philadelphia Phillies. Who, as a matter of fact, just won 11-0 last I checked. Hell yeah, they did. We talked about last week how they were 9-1 and in their last 10 games, 7-3 and when I last checked in their last 10. I mean, they're looking good. They're closing the gap on the Braves. How is, so, so is this kind of just a hot streak that they're riding out, or is this the 13-year plan we put in place starting to come into motion? I think this is the inkling of a plan coming in motion. They look great. They really just need to work on relief pitching. They lost the game yesterday to the Marlins. It was tied game in the ninth, and the reliever Brandon Workman wasn't able to finish it out. That happens. I'm not, like, saying, oh, he's terrible, yada, yada. Their hitting looks great. Bryce Harper is really having a phenomenal season, a MVP caliber season. Reese Hoskins is coming into his own. I can go on and on about the players. Uh, JT Real Moto as well looks great. Their pitching, for the most part, is decent. Nola and uh, Wheeler. Well, Wheeler actually hurt himself trying to put on his pants, so that's, that's an issue, but we're going to move on from that. <laughs> they look good. I don't think they'll be this red hot. No pun intended, of course. But they're showing signs that they are a great team, and they're going to make the playoffs. That's my guarantee. I would, I would love to see that. We, yeah, as a Phillies fan, when you see somebody get signed for three or 13 years, $300 plus million, you get a lot of shit from your friends. So if Bryce is going to go ahead and make the playoffs in year two, that would just – that would be fantastic for my own personal benefit and for the Phillies' success, which is always, you know, the top of the list. So we will keep tracking the MLB as it gets closer and closer to playoff time and as more information comes out about the bubble and all that situation. NHL, 
playoffs, rearing and rearing. We talked about all those game sevens. They have ended. The second round, or the, excuse me, the championship rounds have now commenced. The Lightning, who are were the only team not in one of those game sevens, are up two games to none over the New York Islanders. Sorry to hear that they beat the Philadelphia Flyers, but they are getting their ass kicked at the moment, so it's always a nice retribution. And then the Dallas Stars up two games to one on the Las Vegas Knights. So we talked about all those game sevens. Does fatigue start to come into play here for the teams that are still remaining? I think so. I think the Islanders really fought tooth and nail to beat the Flyers. So the Lightning look well-rested, and they also look like a really well-oiled machine. So I think the Islanders are not going to beat the Lightning just from the fact they haven't had as much rest, and I don't think are as good enough team to beat them. But the, on the other side, you have the Golden Knights and the Stars, who both played through Game 7. So they're both, I'd say, as fatigued as each other. So it kind of balances out. By the time the Stanley Cup finals roll around, you're just going to have like, – everyone's going to kind of be tired already. I'd imagine, unless the other the West goes to a game seven and the East is a game four sweep. Sure, sure. The times of those series can always affect things. Cool stat that you actually brought to my attention before this. Of those three game sevens, you, we had mentioned that uh, there was a team up three games to one to end up having those leads blown to a game seven. All of those teams that were up three games to one ended up winning. Thought that was really cool. Definitely worth a mention. But so fatigue. Maybe not fully a factor yet, seeing that those teams did end up holding on. So, again, with hockey, we're going to keep, keep you updated as the playoffs move forward and we get closer to the crown. The football season is here, and you can track the latest news, odds, and information at betonline.net. And while stadiums won't be full, game action will be loaded. Which players will step up to lead their team? Is there still a home field advantage? Will offense or defense dominate these early weeks of the season? Follow along at betonline.net as the top teams in football begin their journey to Tampa. Available online or your mobile device. Check out the site today. Bring the game home at betonline.net. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound. So you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. Coming a Stanley Cup champion. And moving into the, the final of the major sports, the NBA, obviously playoffs still in full swing, the bubble in full action. And speaking of the bubble, we actually had a player sent home. He will not return for the rest of the playoffs, although the rest of the playoffs for the, his team could be relatively short. Daniel House of the Houston Rockets was sent home for violating. Uh, I, I believe he just had someone in his room for longer than he was supposed to. No one else seemed to be affected by this issue. Um, does this really affect Houston all that much? I mean, they're down three games to one, and I don't think he's played this series anyway, or at least only one game. Does this affect Houston's plan going forward at all? If I'm not mistaken, though, I think he played a good amount. Like, he was playing role minutes and was doing, yeah. a, was doing a reasonably good job. It doesn't, it doesn't help Houston the slightest that he has to go home, but I think in the end it's kind of moot. I don't think the Rockets will beat the Lakers. I really had high hopes after game one, but I don't know. I just I think the Lakers, Lakers figured it out, so power to them. For sure. At some point, role players only really help so much, in, and as good of a role player as he can be, Daniel House isn't really going to stop LeBron. <laughs> so... Uh, continuing with the awards given out, Montrez Harrell 
of the Los Angeles Clippers, was named the sixth man of the year, beat out both Dennis Schroeder of the Oklahoma City Thunder and his teammate, Lou Williams. I, I know I've mentioned this stat before, that Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell are the only two teammates in NBA history to both come off the bench and average 18 points per game. Uh, you, you feel as if Montrez deserved it, or, or it should have been one of the other guys? I thought Lou Will should have won it, but I don't think there's any animosity because they're teammates, and Lou was a ton of the six-man-of-the-year awards. That's just how scary the Clippers are, though. That's just the sort of thing I want to talk about. They have two candidates who, you know, Harold won, awesome. But Lou Will, you could have made a very compelling case for. I have no gripes about it. I don't think they have gripes. They're the only two candidates I thought deserved it. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Definitely my two top candidates for the award. Actually, um, wait. There was someone who I think deserved it more. Aaron Baines. Oh, no. <laughs> you, you immediately knew what I was getting at as soon as I stopped. I did. <laughs> uh, Aaron Baines, unfortunately, did not win the sixth man of the year. It was a snub. It was one of the greatest travesties in NBA history. <laughs> we are appealing to the league at this moment. Aaron Baines, if you're listening, we are here for you and we are fighting for you. I'm your that number one fan, said, Aaron Baines. Please. <laughs> we're going to have a sub-Twitter account for just Aaron Baines fans. Please follow. It's just um, But actually, you know, I wanted to mention, though, there were actually a lot, not just the three that were up for the award, but I actually thought that there were a lot of great uh, six-man candidates this year. A couple other names that I wanted to throw out were uh, Goran Dragic, Terry Rozier, and I am now, of course, blank. Oh, George Hill was the other one I wanted to mention. I thought that these guys had also spectacular seasons, not quite as great as the three that did in fact have uh, the nominations for the award, but just, just in general, a fantastic year for players off the bench. Uh, all those guys have a lot to look forward to, but definitely shout out for Montrez Harrell. And the other, I guess you can call it you know, an individual award, but it's more so just the all, all defense teams were released. Really, really cool to see this as you and I both had a player from our favorite teams, make one of the teams. We're going to start with the all-defensive first team, the guards, Ben Simmons and Marcus Smart, the forwards, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Anthony Davis, and the center, Rudy Gobert. Uh, in your opinion, are these the five best defensive players in the NBA? Yeah, I think the only one you could have made an argument for that should be in there would be Kawhi as a forward. But at the same time, I don't think discounting what Giannis or AD did this year like is appropriate. Like they both, all three of those guys did a great job. And the fact that they got that right, that's what I'll say. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Giannis, the defensive player of the year. Uh, very rarely do we see the defensive player of the year not on the defensive first team. I think the last time was either 2012 or 13 with Tyson Chandler. Um, but the, the guards are the two I really wanted to highlight. Ben Simmons and Marcus Smart, to me, are like it's not close how far beyond any other defensive guards they are. Ben Simmons is like his size obviously helps so much, but both of them, their main contributions to winning come on the defensive end. And that cannot be uh, understated enough because they just dig in when they need to, to get a stop. They are guarding Marcus Smart's guarding the team's best guard. Ben Simmons is usually guarding the team's best player. As long as there's not a center, The, the work they put in on that end of the court absolutely is deserving of this award. And I just really wanted to shout out those two guys. Yeah, absolutely. And the second team, so, so some controversy around some of the players in the second team. We're going to go through it first. Eric Bledsoe and Patrick Beverly were the guards. Kawhi Leonard and Bam Adebayo were the forwards. And Brooke Lopez was the center on the all-defensive second team. You mentioned that 
uh, Joel Embiid was a name you would have put in necessarily over Brooke Lopez. Why, why do you say that? Just from a block and rebound perspective, I think Embiid does more than someone like Brooke Lopez. I don't want to discount Brooke Lopez this year. He is, I'd say, undersized and a little bit under athletic compared to some of the other centers. And he plays them very well. He's a very good defender and also has to go out to the perimeter a lot of times to defend. He's very versatile, but I think someone like Embiid is more of a rim stopper, a rim protector. And I think I don't have a gripe with that one as much. I think Embiid would have been a more smart choice, but that's, that's just on me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not to discredit the, uh, (laughs) not to discredit the success Brooke Lopez had, but Brooke Lopez on defense to me really just blocks shots. He's just a big dude to put in the paint. He his game has aged well, but I mean, if you're talking about the second best defensive center in the NBA and you're not talking about Joel Embiid because you've already talked about Rudy Gobert, I mean, that just makes no sense. Joel Embiid can guard any center, can guard any power forward. He is one of, you know, he's not the best perimeter defender, but when guarding big men on the perimeter, he does the job he needs to. And inside it is impossible to score on him. I agree with you. I don't think you're being too biased here. But, you know, Brooke Lopez had, did have a, a great season. Like I said, his game is aging incredibly for someone who was really just an offensive player when he was with Brooklyn. Hmm. Um, the other kind of controversial choice was Eric Bledsoe. Not to harp on the Bucks here, but Eric Bledsoe is like, he's a good player. He's a big guy. He's a, he's a good defensive guy. But, I mean, Drew Holiday is Drew Holiday. widely known as one of, if not the best defensive guard in basketball, by, from what I've heard around the, the players who were responding to this, to not see him on this list. I, I know he was a former Sixer but, uh, and an all-star with the Sixers, actually. But this dude, ever since then, has also just become an incredible leader on the defensive end, as well as you know he has been as, as just doing the defensive things. Why did he not make it? Why, why did we give the credit to the, the team success from Eric Bledsoe rather than the individual success from, from Drew Holiday? It honestly probably was because of the bubble. The Pelicans really didn't get a chance to play a whole lot of games in the bubble. They played their regular season games and then were done. The Bucks had a record-setting defense, if I'm not mistaken. They did a phenomenal defense this year. And I don't think you can just credit Giannis and Brooke Lopez for the reason that they did so well defensively. So having a guy like Eric Bledsoe, who is a good defender, don't get me wrong, in there to justify why they were so good makes sense. But I would say Drew Holiday is more deserving of it. A lot of NBA players took to Twitter to also show their support, but you know, again, I think we're not trying to discredit the player that, you know, Eric Bledsoe that did end up getting the award, but Drew is a great defender. Drew guarded, I assume, would have guarded the best player anytime the Pelicans were playing a team worth switching him on to. So we'll see about next year. You know, Drew, great defender, but shout out to those 10 players for the all defensive first and second teams. And more news for the NBA, some coaching changes, or at least some announcements. Billy Donovan, the Oklahoma City Thunder coach who tied for the coach's vote for coach of the year and led a team that everyone expected to be terrible into the playoffs will not be coming back. They offered him an ex- a two-year extension before the bubble began. He did not accept it, and now he is out as the Oklahoma City head coach. What are your thoughts on this? I think the Thunder going into a rebuild. 
Billy Donovan is more of a win now coach. I think they just let his contract expire for that reason. That's sure. about honestly, it's about it. I think the Thunder are ready to get use their draft picks and really assemble a extremely dangerous young core very shortly. Yeah, no, not a, not a week removed from the bubble, and we're already hearing eight teams have inquired about Chris Paul for trades. So we'll see what the Thunder do. They do have a nice young core outside of Chris Paul and lots of draft picks in the coming years. So we will see as they progress and who they end up hiring. And the other coaching move, the Memphis Grizzlies hired Sonia Ramon. Uh, Ramon. She is the winningest coach in women's Ivy League history. She's their new assistant head coach. I'm going to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about her, but from what I read, she is very good at player development. And for a young Memphis team, that is very important. Someone like John Morant, Jaron Jackson, especially him, because he's going to be coming off a major injury. Brandon Clark, I think if she's uh, as good as as hyped up to be in developing players, they are going to have a lot of long-term success uh, with her on staff. Yeah, and on top of that, it's really good to see women getting the chance to be coaches in the league. You know, right now it's assistants. Hopefully in the future it'll evolve to head coaches and hopefully they have success. It's really cool to see that dynamic shift. And, I'm, you know, I'm here for it. As long as you're doing a good job, fine by me. Absolutely. As long as you are performing, no reason to be biased in any way for who, who should be hired. And so shout out to those, uh, excuse me, to her for nag- nabbing that job. And we will see it, the success as Memphis is one of the most promising young teams in the league. Now, the NBA playoffs, we are getting real close to the conference finals. We're going to start out. So the news in the East was that so all I saw on Twitter from ESPN, from Bleacher Report, from every other podcast was that the Milwaukee Bucks had lost. Nobody was talking about the fact that the Miami Heat had won and are the only team so far to have qualified Uh. for the conference finals. I know you're going to have to indulge a lot because I am very high on this team right now, but the Miami Heat, you, you have to acknowledge that they came out and they just took care of business. Three games immediately, lost a tough one, ended it. I know there's a lot of talk about Miami Heat. The odds are always changing for who's going to come out of the East, but if there's a weakness of this Miami team, what do you think it is? The lack of experience from a lot of their players, at least like people like Harrow, Nunn, Robinson, who do a lot in terms of scoring outside of people like Jimmy Butler. Bam's also pretty young. He has playoff experience, but it'll be interesting to see whoever wins game seven tonight against the Raptors Celtics. The Raptors have a lot of great playoff experience. The Celtics have a lot of very promising players who also have playoff experience. The Heat, their biggest advantage is they're deep. They have about 10 guys who can all play and do consistent minutes and give you reasonable amounts of points, rebounds, and assists. I am very curious, though, whoever they play, to see if Jimmy Butler can be the real deal more than just the fourth quarter, because I think they're going to need that. that. That's a good note. Um, in game five, the Heat did start out with a deficit, and then the bench came on and started to kind of quell that, bring the heat back into it. I would agree with you. Jimmy Butler has been, been incredible in the fourth quarter of games, especially in that round two series. Um, but but it, it does it is important for your best player to be effective and efficient early on in the game. 
who would you rather play? Like, who do you want to win game seven tonight? I had, oh man, I've been thinking so much about this because I, I do think that the Heat are going to regardless win, but I think the easier matchup at this point is going to be Toronto. I know that they're the team that's been there before, but as we have been consistently mentioning, the lack of star power seems to be their biggest issue is that they are constantly, constantly relying on Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam and with half a second left OJ on Obi to hit huge shots that they're not necessarily accustomed to making. Kyle Lowry ha- is cool with taking on that role. He's a veteran. He, you know, he's very skilled. Pascal Siakam has really struggled for the most part with grabbing the reins and being the guy for this team. The Heat are a team that exploit those kinds of things. The Heat, as you said, they're young. That is something that could come to the plate. But so far, it really hasn't. Tyler Hero's been one of the Heat's best closers so far. Duncan Robinson draws an entire defender that can't leave him to switch. Um, Kendrick Nunn, in the minutes he's played, hasn't necessarily been great, but the success he had during the regular season can be threat enough at certain points to pay enough attention to him that you can't kind of cheat off of him or anything like that. That's what, you know, Toronto, they make those kind of mistakes. They kind of let you win if they're not hitting shots. And so, yeah, I think the Heat would have a lot of success. I think regardless, the series is a five or six game series, no matter what. Um, Seven, definitely if it's Boston, but. Well, here's my argument for Boston. I think you guys would want to play Boston instead of, Toronto, and here's why. Toronto, albeit their star power has been a little bit iffy with Siakam struggling. Kyle Lowry has gotten back into his groove. Van Vliet as well. The Rock, sorry, the Raptors are kind of deep, or at least reasonably deep, with some role players like Norman Powell, Ibaka, a few others off the bench. The Celtics, while they have a lot of star power and Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, they have really no one off the bench. You have Robert Williams. Gordon Hayward's still injured. Like, Bam Adebayo is going to slaughter Daniel Tice. Yes. They can't have Kemba Walker in because Kemba Walker will get eaten alive by whichever guard, even Gordon Dragic will eat Kemba alive. That. To me, the Heat are deep enough where they're just going to basically grind down the Celtics. Maybe the Celtics take a game, maybe two. But I really think the better matchup for them is the Celtics in terms of actually winning. I think the Raptors could give them a run in six or seven, to be honest. I do want to uh, shout out real quick. You mentioned Robert Williams. (laughs) He has been given the name the Time Lord by Doris Burke, and I'm really not sure why, but I just wanted to shout that out because it's hilarious. Um, (laughs) But I agree, the Heat are – miles more deep than than the Boston Celtics. The Boston Boston at this point without Hayward is pretty much a seven or eight deep team. Not really going to go. And, you know, Brad Wanamaker only does so many good things for a team. So I I think you're right. I think that point guard matchup of Drogic Kemba could actually be a really entertaining matchup. The The part I'm most worried about is the idea of constantly having Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown on Jimmy Butler was sure. what we discussed of Jimmy needing to have success starting right at the beginning of games. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the Heat, I think, actually might have the experience on Boston at this point. They've had some guys that have been late in the playoffs. Jimmy, Kelly Olynyk, Bam's been there before. Goran's been in the playoffs before. So we'll see. Um, but we're, I think it's a good, good way to go right into who do you think is going to win game seven between Boston and Toronto? Mm, I... 
I actually think the Celtics will win tonight, as much as I hate to say it. The Celtics, the game six was a poorly officiated game. If you watched it, you could probably understand what I'm talking about. Every play where there was either a foul call or not a foul call, it was the reverse of what it should have been, in my opinion. Jason Tatum got the short end of the stick in a lot of calls. And I think usually when Jason Tatum struggles or doesn't, like, close out a game, usually the next game he pops off. So I think tonight he's going to pop off. I think it's going to be too much for the Raptors. I hope I'm wrong. I really do, but – yeah, no, we're we're pretty anti-Boston sports uh, in these households. Just a little. I would like Toronto to win, regardless. I also think Boston's going to win. Jason Tatum, to me, is emerging right now as maybe a top 20 or even top 15 player in the NBA. And I think by this time next year, we may even be talking about him as a top 10 player in the NBA. He's a so stud. We will I hate see- to say it. <laughs> we, we will see how that progresses and definitely be giving you the update next week on how this series finishes out. Um, and so the last story we want to get to about the NBA playoffs is we are one game away in each respective series from this matchup that we have been thinking about since the very beginning of the season, back before the coronavirus, back before the all-star game, even the LA teams meeting in the conference finals, Kawhi versus LeBron, Paul George versus Davis, Vogel versus Rivers. The excitement level's there, right? I'm not, I'm not alone here. Absolutely not. Battle of the... LA teams. If there were a team to come back from 3-1 between Houston and Denver, who, who has your vote of confidence to be more likely to do that? Rockets, because the whole idea of shooting volume three-pointers, you could have a day where you just hit everything. If you're hitting 50%, you're going to kill any team you play. So I give the Rockets the benefit of the doubt in terms of coming back, but I also think it'll still be battle of the LA teams. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm hoping for the Battle of the Elias. I think those might actually even be the best two teams in the NBA. So that yeah, is just exciting. LeBron, it's the LeBron matchup ever won. Exactly, exactly. It's, to me, it's the top two players in the NBA, but also it's just these guys have met in the finals before. These guys have kind of built not necessarily a huge rivalry, but just it's a, a real high level of competition against each other. So just the general excitement hovering around that series I think any basketball fan can appreciate absolutely all right so with that we are going to move into our kitchen debates for this week you're going to start with yet another goat debate we are going to be arguing who is the greatest running back in the history of the NFL we had a Twitter poll that sparked this one for us Alex is going to be arguing for Barry Sanders I am going to be arguing for Adrian Peterson Alex, take it away. Barry Sanders is the most electric running back you will ever see. People, millions of people go on YouTube to watch his highlight tapes every year. His name has transcended the past 30 years. He is an all-pro selection on the NFL Top 100 as one of the best running backs. Guy averaged above five yards a carry which for running backs, if you're averaging above four, you're doing a good job. Anything past that's extra, you're doing above average. Five yards of carry is insane. While he may not have the overall rushing record with, uh, I think Emmitt Smith holds the most yards of all time. I think Emmitt Smith also has a touchdown one as well. He just had some freakish years. Like he led the league 
in rushing yards uh, four different times in his 10-year career. The first time was 1,300 rushing yards. You know, that's pretty good. Then he decides, okay, I'm going to fall. The football season is here, and you can track the latest news, odds, and information at betonline.net. And while stadiums won't be full, game action will be loaded. Which players will step up to lead their team? Is there still a home field advantage? Will offense or defense dominate these early weeks of the season? Follow along at betonline.net as the top teams in football begin their journey to Tampa. Available online or your mobile device. Check out the site today. Bring the game home at betonline.net. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound. Not just here or here but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. That up and do a little better. I'm going to go with 1,883 yards the next time he led the league. The, uh, two years later, he followed it up with 1,553 yards to lead the league. And then, Robbie, in his ninth season, our boy had 2,000 rushing yards, including the playoffs, I believe. But that is insane. That's a, actually, no, it didn't include playoffs. 128 yards per game. That's insane. In, incredible. Well, people can point to his inability to win playoff games. I don't, he has one playoff win. He played for an abysmal Lions team. And every year when the Lions are good, we talk about how the Lions haven't won a playoff game in X amount of years. The last time they won was Barry Sanders. He willed a pretty bad team in the playoffs. Now, when you're in the playoffs, obviously you just want to focus on their best player. The Lions really didn't have much going for them. So he didn't do too well because of it. But I really think between the flashiness, his performance, and honestly, he played 10 years. He made those 10 years count, and he retired basically on top. He said, I'm done. I'm sorry, Lions, but I'm calling it quits. The Lions just they wanted him back. So that, was, that was their draw. This guy, if you play any sports games in Madden, he's always one of the highest-rated running backs, and there's a reason for it. If you haven't watched his highlight tape, please go watch it. The man's got a plethora of jukes, spins, a little bit of hurdling, too. He could not be caught. The guy was incredible. He is the GOAT. Robbie, who do you think's the GOAT? So I think Adrian Peterson's the GOAT. I think Barry Sanders is an incredible argument to be made for him. Um, but eight, so Adrian Peterson, a couple statistics. He's the fifth all-time leading rusher. However, I will, to your credit, state that he will not catch Barry Sanders for fourth. He is over 1,500 yards. I don't think Adrian Peterson necessarily has that many yards left in his career. We'll see. It's not impossible, but definitely tough for the third or fourth running back on a roster. But he is the fifth all-time leading rusher. He is the fourth all-time in rushing touchdowns. He is ahead of Barry Sanders on that list. Um, and you mentioned the lack of playoff success for Barry Sanders. There's also somewhat of a lack of playoff success for Adrian Peterson. He was only in five playoff games. He went one and four in those games. However, he averaged a touchdown per game. He has five playoff touchdowns, three of which occurred in one game. Um, so when it comes to performing in the playoffs, he never really had a bad game. Um, I, I think there's also something to be said about the teams he was on. Um, but there's two records that he owns that really stuck out to me. He is tied for the most 200-plus-yard rushing games in NFL history with six. He's tied with O.J. Simpson. 
and the other one, which is probably the most insane stat I've ever heard about a running back. He holds the record for the most rushing yards in a single game with 296. He set that as a rookie. Adrian Peterson, from the second he walked in the league, just knew how to play. He, at every turn, has had an answer. He gets hurt. He has a bounce back year immediately. He has a rough game. He follows it up with a 120-yard, two-touchdown performance. Um, longevity for a running back is very difficult. You know, we only saw Barry Sanders play 10 years. Most running backs don't really make it much past 12. Peterson is entering his 13th. So his, his continued success might not be too great. But, this, you know, what he did during the prime parts of his career, mostly with Minnesota – and then the other years that he had, I mean, he made, he was always making an impact. As long as he was healthy, the teams, you could double team him, you could triple team him, you could load the box, and he was still going to rush 15 times to 20 times. He was still going to have, you know, 50 to 100 rushing yards, and more than likely he was going to score on you. you there, there just was no answer. I haven't seen one, and, you know, now that he's old, that might have been the answer, I guess, but. To your credit, yeah, as a rookie, he'd won the best rookie seasons ever. And I remember watching that 296-yard game. It was against the Chargers. And the reason I remember that is because I had the Chargers defense in fantasy. Oof. Yeah. The only – actually, a side stat. I'm really sorry to get off topic. At halftime of that game, Antonio Cromartie had the longest NFL touchdown of all time because he returned a missed field goal 109 yards. That's and dope. like 109 and a half. So that, that helped in my defense a little bit. But yeah, he, he tore up the Chargers. He, I believe, was short of, like, breaking the all-time season record for yards as well. I think he had plus 2,000. He came just short of Dickerson's record, if I'm not mistaken. Or also, I'm going to get to that in a second, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, sorry to cut you off. But no, you I think what I want to say is you've talked a lot about – him being great when he was young and he was the thing is he really fell off as he got older and to Barry Sanders credit nine seasons in you know in his 30s the man puts up a 2,000 plus yard season with rushing yards that's pretty impressive and maybe maybe retired early but there's also a point of retiring on top I mean the man at last season, when he before he retired, fourteen hundred ninety-one yards, like that's a phenomenal year for any running back. Oh yeah, and easily a Pro Bowl season. Barry Sanders to me, just from watching highlight tapes, incredible. And there's no one that can even get close to what he could do. The statistics, especially yards per game, or sorry, yards per attempt, and just on top of that really playing for not a good team and still having tremendous success. And to me, that's kind of the important thing where he was just the goat for running backs because he had nothing around him and still made it work to a pretty solid degree. I mean, I, I completely agree with that point. A, the lack of skill on most Lions teams throughout all time, but uh, his team specifically, I mean, he, really was it for them. And he made it work a lot of the time. I mean, he got his team to the playoffs. He, like you said, is the last, the, uh, his team is the last Lions playoff team to win a game. That, that isn't something to take lightly. Um, Adrian Peterson, you know, the, the argument with retiring on top versus, you know, playing out your career till the, you know, till you drop on the field. 
I don't know if you can necessarily hold that to or for anybody else because there's something to say about the fact that Barry Sanders was able was able to accomplish in the you know ten years he was there and only ten years. And I also think there's something to say about the fact that Adrian Peterson has been able been able to uh, have a slightly elongated career. Um, but my like real true final reason as to why Peterson uh, is my goat at running back is there was this moment. It was that year that he finished six yards short of the all time season rushing record. Um, the game he was playing in, I forget exactly who they were playing, but it was a game that if they won, they were going into the playoffs. And if they lost, they were going to miss the playoffs. And at the end, Adrian Peterson had a spectacular game. I don't, I don't remember the exact stats. I know he had two touchdowns. I know he was well over a hundred yards. Um, and the very first thing the, the uh, lady interviewing him at the end of the game said, and I, I hate her for this moment or, to this day, she said, Adrian, you finished six yards short of the all-time rushing record. How upset do you feel right now? And Adrian Peterson looks at her and he goes, six yards short of, short of what? She goes, the all-time rushing record. He goes, I had no clue. I wasn't paying attention to that. My team won the football game and we're going to the playoffs. That mindset of Adrian Peterson of not worrying about his personal success and truly being able to put the team's success on his shoulders. That that is a very unique thing that very few players across all time have. I'm not saying Barry Sanders didn't necessarily have that as well, but Adrian Peterson was a leader. Adrian Peterson was a dog. Adrian Peterson grinded anytime he was hurt, anytime he had a bad game. He always, always found a way to bounce back with that mindset. To me, that's, why he's my choice for this. I, I do love that mindset. I distinctly remember that interview as well. I respect the selflessness. And that's how you should play. You should go for a win rather than a, a personal record. Obviously, maybe they could have gotten both if you scored a touchdown in that final play. But that's exactly it. You always want your team to win. And I re- respect that from AP. On the other hand, though, he besides the years in the Vikings – the other years really haven't done much. His time with the Saints was pretty short-lived. His time with the Reds, sorry, Wash, well, that time Redskins. Don't need to be appropriate for that case. They were, like, he rushed. He did well. Everyone respects him for what he did with the Vikings. But he's sort of, it's, there's been a decline in his production. Something that if Barry Sanders was his age, he was still kind of increasing or at least staying steady. I respect AP for all he's done. He's an absolutely electric running back. But you can't call him the GOAT if he's not producing at astronomical levels like Barry Sanders was. And that's kind of the crux of my debate, why I think Barry Sanders is the GOAT. And if you watch him, there is no way you're catching him in open field. Barry Sanders. That I won't argue. I, f- I would love to have been able to see one of these uh... – you know, Barry Sanders next to Saquon Barkley and then me just kind of, you know, seven seconds behind. That'd be great. <laughs> Blinky's uh, gone. So we will let the, the, our listeners decide who won this first debate here. Adrian Peterson versus Barry Sanders. We'll see. The second debate of the day is Giannis Antetokounmpo. What is his standing uh, in regards to the best player in the NBA right now, or is he a top three player in the NBA, NBA right now? Uh, you're saying he is still a top three player. I, however, have a different opinion. Uh, you want to go first or second here? I will go first. Take it. Well, it hasn't been announced yet. 
Giannis Antetokounmpo will win MVP this year. People who want to argue LeBron, no. Giannis put up astronomical numbers again with, I believe, averaging near 30, if not 30 points a game, 10-plus rebounds, and then four, five, six assists per game, whatever that number was. He's putting up insane values. You can talk about the Bucks losing. I know I got on them last week about them being down 3-0 at the time to the Heat, and they lost. You can talk about Giannis not performing in the clutch or, oh, Giannis can't win the playoffs. You can go on and on about that. At the end of the day, though, even someone who's putting up 30 points, whether it's LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, list goes on and on. Most teams nowadays score above 100 points per game. That means, if my math's correct, and I think it is, that 70 points are coming from the other players on your team. Giannis has a great core around him, but if Giannis is producing 25, 30 points a game and playing reasonably well defensively and his teammates aren't helping him, that's not his fault. We like to get on people about not performing and Giannis hurting himself. Giannis put literally everything he had into trying to beat the Heat and he couldn't because his teammates played like crap. Chris Middleton, for some reason, once Giannis got hurt, looked phenomenal. And if he had it, that entire series, I think we'd be in game six right now. And I think the Bucs would have the advantage. So lucky, lucky duck over here, Robbie. Giannis is 26, I believe. And it's going to be a two-time MVP winner. That is something we've seen from people like LeBron James and Michael Jordan. That is insane to think about. Like, the people who do that are the, some of the best players of all time. LeBron James is still a top three player. I would say Kevin Durant is an all, a top three player when he is healthy. But I st- even though I love Kawhi, I think Giannis is a better piece to have than Kawhi. Kawhi is stone cold, clutch, but... You can't have a top three list and not say Giannis Antetokounmpo just from the kind of production he gives you and just the mismatch nightmare he brings. Well, I do have a list, and Giannis Antetokounmpo is sitting pretty at number four. And here is why. First of all, just to, just to go straight at that Kawhi Leonard thing you just said, I believe they matched up last year in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals, and I believe Giannis won games one and two, and then I believe Kawhi Leonard won games three, four, five, and six. So I would rather have Kawhi Leonard on my team than Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis Antetokounmpo statistically and on the base of accolades is going to no question be maybe the best player of all time. Um, he, like you said, is about to win his second MVP. I believe Giannis, uh, uh, LeBron was the MVP this year, but more than likely it's going to be Giannis. It's going to be very hard to argue, especially because that award does not include anything uh, after the cancellation of the season, the bubble on does not count for the awards. But when you're talking about the greatest of all time, you absolutely have to be talking about playoff success. That is the most, the most important part about any goat conversation is playoff success and championships. It's not the only part, but it is the most important part is how many you've been to, how many you've won, what's your win percentage, all those things factor in. So Giannis Antetokounmpo to me is the greatest what-if player 
in NBA history. You look at Giannis, you see the stats, the, the 30, 15, and, and five plus he gives the, the all-stars, the MVPs. Everybody knows that he should be the best player of all time or one of the best players of all time. It is now about, will he be? Will he start to become the best? He's winning MVPs. That's a good step. He's the number one seed in the playoffs. Was a good step until, until they had their early exit. But here, here's the main part of what I'm trying to say. Giannis Antetokounmpo is 25. There's no more. He's, he's young. He's the baby. He's reached his athletic prime. He's not getting more athletic. He might get stronger, but, but his body is grown. So physically, he's not getting any better or more impressive. By the age of 25, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and Kawhi Leonard had all already made a trip to the NBA Finals. Okay, time out, time, no, time out there. That Kawhi Leonard one is garbage. He had Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, and as you said last week, the greatest coach of all time. So I'll stop right there. He played very well and has a Finals MVP. LeBron played in a very weak East. So I'll stop you right there. The one thing, and I think this is very important, Giannis's tandem, his duo, second best player is Chris Milton, who is an all-star. He's a very good player, did not show up in the playoffs this year until Giannis got hurt. But then let's look at, so you say Kawhi is number three. I say Kawhi is number two. Who's number three, Kevin Durant? Yeah, my order is LeBron, Kawhi, Durant, Giannis. Okay. Well, Kevin Durant didn't play this year. So last year's tandem was his next best player was Steph Curry. That's a pretty good player to have in tandem with. Even now, Kyrie, as much as I don't like him, I'd say is still a more valuable asset than Chris Middleton. Now, Kawhi, last year he had people like Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry and was a freak in the playoffs. But this year, he's got Paul George to help him out. And Kawhi Leonard is a tough one because the guy is so clutch in the playoffs and you can't really quantify that. But he's got a really good star in Paul George. But then the other one, LeBron, your so-called MVP of this season. Robbie, who is the second best player in the Lakers? Or even maybe the first, if you'd like to debate it. Alex Caruso? No. I wish. Oh, is it the tall dude with the unibrow? Hey, it is. Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is an incredible player. A first-team defensive player. What I want to get at is, while, yeah, Giannis didn't have postseason success, if his lineup and core around him is not delivering moderately good results, like DiVincenzo played pretty horrific the playoffs, Pat Connaughton, who I love and can shows us why a white man can jump, he looked awful in the playoffs too. George Hill looked okay. Eric Bledsoe looked like a shell of himself. I don't want to blame everyone else but Giannis. Giannis could have done a bit more in the playoffs. But you have to say, without Giannis, that Bucks team would just be – they'd probably make the East playoffs, but they'd be sure. garbage. No, I mean, without Giannis, that Bucks team is miserable. The Giannis of the, the three has – well, if we're counting Durant from last year um, – has the least impressive supporting cast. Um, maybe not overall, but definitely with star power. That being said – Giannis, you know, not, excuse me, not Giannis, just in general, if you're one of the greatest, one of the top, you know, three to five to 10 basketball players in the NBA, you have to just do your best to succeed with what you're given. Um, the Bucks have a very impressive team. 
it, it was shown that they're not as impressive as people may have thought, but they still had pieces for success. I know part of this falls on the fact that Mike Budenholzer didn't really want to edit the rotation in any kind of ways during that Heat series, but Giannis didn't play his best basketball. There is no such thing as playoff Giannis right now. Um, you know, we see with players like LeBron and Durant and Kawhi, we can see when they like visibly see them turn it up in the playoffs. Maybe not quite as much with LeBron so far this year, but definitely we've seen it with Kawhi in the playoffs. Just that killer mentality. Um, I think a lot of it honestly falls on the fact that Giannis Antetokounmpo thinks, or he, he knows that the shots he's going to be given are jump shots. And it's kind of hard to blame him for that because if you just look at his arms, it is impossible for him to shoot a basketball like you or I shoot a basketball. His arms just don't bend the same way. They're too long. That being said, if that's a shot you don't make very, like very often, it's not a high percentage look for you, but it's still the only shot you're given. It's not you settle. It is you have to work for the better shot. You have to work harder. Giannis didn't really seem to care about working harder. He wanted to win. He was fighting as hard as he possibly could, but he wasn't thinking as intelligently as he could have. Like I, like I was trying to say that, that those other three players had already been to the finals. Sure, the rosters are different stories, but they'd all been there. They'd all had that chance. The, what I'm saying with that is the traje- trajectory of Giannis's career in regards to those two players is now off. He is behind them. Players like something like Jordan, Winning all of his championships after the age of 28 can always happen. I'm not counting that out. Giannis will not be peak Giannis until at the very least the age of 28. But when it comes down to the best, it's players who will win you games in the playoffs. And Giannis wasn't always the reason the Bucs were losing those games against the Heat. But when you're 4 of 12 from the free throw line or you're 0 of 7 from 3, at some point as the best player – a lot of that responsibility falls on you. Giannis didn't perform in the playoffs. Kevin Durant's hurt, but Kevin Durant, regardless of how good of his, te- his team was, you have to acknowledge how well he played in those times with the Warriors. Kawhi, since the Spurs has led his own team, is trying to lead his own team. And we, we've discussed previously what LeBron does in the playoffs and what he has done in the playoffs. There is nothing like that for Giannis yet. He's still young. But it's no longer the excuse. It's no longer okay that, oh, he's just young. He hasn't. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve, too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. Done it yet. Giannis is getting there. He's getting to the point where he should just be outright the best. And he's not outright the best because we're having this conversation. I would rather have those other three in, in the conference finals uh, up two games to none over the Raptors. I'd rather have Kawhi LeBron or Durant taking the shots that Kawhi was because Kawhi blew that series in the series against the heat. Are you telling me that Kawhi Durant or LeBron wouldn't have won them that series? Cause I'm very confident they would have at least won two or three, uh, two more games with one of those other players. Giannis, there's a lot of holes in his game, both mentally and the fact that he can't shoot. The pieces just aren't there. They're, he's not progressing as quickly as the other all-time greats currently in the league were. And it's showing. It's really showing with the fact that they were able to only muster up one win in the second round without him on the court. I just think with the exception of LeBron, if you traded places, if you put Giannis on the Clippers and to put Kawhi on the Bucks, the Clippers would be even slightly more disgusting than they already are. 
I think the Bucks may have a chance to close out games better. But I really think replacing Giannis for some of those other players, Giannis would do better in said system. I think with what Giannis had, like Giannis has a good core around him, like I said before. But if they're not performing, you can't expect anyone to put up like 50-plus point games and then expect them to win. And let me rephrase I do that. when it comes to the GOAT. I do when it comes to the GOAT. Because but even, even LeBron, when he had that 40-point you know, finals route where he was averaging a triple-double when the Warriors won their first finals, even with those incredible stat lines, he still couldn't will that team to win. But what round was he in? The finals, in the NBA sure. finals. Giannis hasn't sniffed the finals yet. Giannis has won two games of the conference finals and then lost four straight. Giannis doesn't have that next step that LeBron was taking that the rest of LeBron's roster wasn't taking, but he was taking. Giannis doesn't have that step yet. That's the extra thing we need to see when it comes to the best ever. I, I will concede that. I still think, though, his core really did not perform what they should have. Sure. I'll, I will completely agree. Especially and even, of... <laughs> even when LeBron put a 40, 10, and 10 and lost, the next year when he did the same thing and won in game seven, he had Kyrie to help him out tremendously. Absolutely. That is what's important to like move you through. So you need someone else to help you perform or else you're just going to get tripled the entire game. That's no fun. No, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the teams, I mean, LeBron's team that I was mentioning that had gone to the finals is the first finals team LeBron was with they got swept i'm just saying there's a, a you know a unwritten not stat but just thing about making it to that next round in the playoffs it's just like that when you're there the next time after you've lost already there's just another level of comfort that that you can't really have unless you've been there i think most greats lose before they win obviously there's exceptions such as jordan and and i guess Kawhi, but <laughs> Um, there, there, there is, there is just something about that, that Giannis won't be as good as he should be until he can get his team over this hump of making the finals. And I'm just worried it's going to take him longer than it should. Well, going back to Jordan though, Jordan ran to the bad boy Pistons and the Boston Celtics at a time when he was young and was, he put up 60 in the Boston garden and won that game, but still lost to the Celtics. I, I know Giannis is the number one seed this year. And that's different than Jordan when he was playing. But the thing is, he's still young enough where give him a bit of progression in time and a little more playoff experience and maybe a few different pieces. And I think he's going to start winning. And I really think he's going to go on a tear. I mean, Giannis himself quelled any conversation of if he's leaving. He, he himself stated he wants to stay. So that part of it is, is nice to, I guess, not really have on his chest and he can just focus on winning. But when, you know, you can't expect something like what Michael Jordan did to happen. You can't expect the majority of your success to start in the prime of your career. The greats, it's supposed to start at the beginning, you know, Kareem, when he first came into the league as Lou Alcindor was already making NBA finals appearances, the greats find a way. I think Giannis is still working. I think he's still getting better but he has to hurry up and find his way but, or the door is going to start to close. But Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, had Oscar Robertson as his tandem, who's one of the best point guards of all time. You're right. You do need a second. And, you know, you're Pippen. You need your Wade. You need your Big O. You need 
your other guy, you need, you know, Shaq or Kobe. You need someone to take some pressure off. I agree. Nobody can do it by themselves. Um, Giannis could eventually maybe be that exception, but, you know, at this point, Chris Middleton would have been probably the best third piece on any playoff team. But, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll agree with you there. He does need more help. Um, any other – any last thoughts here you want to throw out? No, I think that was a pretty intense debate. I agree. Got a little, got a little heated there. That's what the kitchen's for, though. Oh, yeah, no, it's why we keep it there. <laughs> All right, so you guys let us know who uh, – if Jan, you believe Jan Sanadokounmpo still ranks in the top three or even as the best player in the NBA – and we will await, happily await to see what you say. So we will now move into the superlatives for this week. Got some great ones, a new one we'll get to. We're going to start with my personal favorite, the most disappointing award. Alex, who was the most disappointing player, players, or team from this past week for you? The New York Islanders. Robbie, they beat my Philadelphia Flyers in what was a crushing game seven for me. But then they followed up. Allowing eight goals to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Say what you want about rest, but eight goals is embarrassing. In addition to that, game two, when they had a little more rest, a little chance to understand what the Lightning were doing, they proceed to have a tie game and then allow a goal with seven seconds left. Disappointing, to say the least. I think they're going to get swept. We're losing five. So, hopefully. I'm spiteful today. I mentioned we don't love Boston teams here. We also don't really tolerate New York teams either, so I'm not really too upset if, to, if the Islanders get swept here. Da, da, don't think you da, are either. Start spreading uh, the news. Sorry. <laughs> my most disappointing player of this week, uh, I really try and keep my biases out of these awards, uh, these superlatives that we get. They don't. Oh, sometimes I do. Not this time. James Harden. I very notably hate James Harden. And to this week, he is my most disappointing player of the week. So James Harden had a spectacular game seven against Oklahoma City. Most notably, his game-saving block against the Gunsdort on that three-point attempt. Uh, but then people were just all over Twitter and all over social media about how James Harden's an elite defender. We need to you know, stop talking about this, about how he's bad, start talking to him in conversations with Allen Iverson and Dwayne Wade. And then he played really well in game one and, and garnered a little more – you know, momentum under those arguments. And then he played games two, three, and four. And I want to specifically talk about game four when he, this man, a quote, top five player in basketball score or shot two of 11. He still had 20 plus points because he's James Harden. Why wouldn't he? But two of 11 from the guy that's supposed to be your go-to hit a shot when we need you to score, score. I mean, that's terrible. There was this kind of crazy stat that came out that, he has shot below 20% now eight times in his playoff career, which is six times more than Kobe, LeBron, Jordan, and Durant combined. It's kind of a ridiculous stat, but the way I unpacked it was the, the amount of games versus the amount of screw-ups. Obviously, James Harden has played less games than those combined four players, and to have six more games shooting under 20%, I mean, from, from a top player in the league that's atrocious, that, that is terrible. Playoff Harden, I just talked about playoff Giannis. Playoff Harden also does not exist. Um, there is no second step he takes. There's just how much can you sell contact? How well are you going to appeal to the ref about a foul call? It's tougher in the playoffs. We see chippy calls, but 
you know, especially down the stretch, they're going to try and let the players play as much as possible, at least ideally. Harden doesn't seem to be able to grasp that. He thinks he can just play his lackadaisical, get me foul, get me to the free throw line style, and it doesn't. it's proven it doesn't work. I hope the Rockets get eliminated to, tomorrow night. I don't like James Harden, and he was extremely disappointing this round. Going down, next award, the Hart Award. Um, this one was kind of cool. I think we both actually have some really nice ones we want to we share here. So the one I found, uh, the Hart Award for me goes to Naomi Osaka. She's been playing in the U.S. Open, and she has worn a mask with the name of a different victim of police brutality every single match, different name every time. And uh, I think this was really cool because we all are affected by this. We're all seeing things about this and don't necessarily always know how we can speak our piece, how we can help, whatever, lack of a better term. But athletes and, and you know, celebrities have kind of a pedestal. They kind of have a platform that, that they're just on because of who they are, because they're under the spotlight all the time. And for, for Naomi to come out and use her platform to what I believe is honestly as well as she could is special. It's powerful. It's, it's an athlete standing up for what they believe in, and, and, and speaking their mind on a topic that needs to be brought to light. This is something that needs to, you know, change needs to happen. And she is doing her part. I think that's a really cool thing. So my heart award goes to her. Very well said. And I also, you know, it's good to see athletes saying their piece. I really always respect when they do that compared to just shutting up and playing as one reporter put it. My heart award is Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry in game six of the Eastern Conference semifinals put on a show. Went to double overtime against the Celtics. He played, if I'm not mistaken, 51 minutes. He did indeed. 51 minutes is incredible. That takes a lot of heart because you are doggone tired after playing, probably hitting 36, I'd imagine. I mean, playing, we've used to play, what, 20-minute halves? And I'd play, like, what? 38 minutes and I was gassed (laughs) yeah if if we had a 40 minute game you're probably you were playing at least 35 I was playing probably 34 33 yeah it was a lot and that this was playing against much inferior competition compared to (laughs) so for him to do that and then also make some very clutch passes and makes a very clutch shot against Kemba Walker to put the Raptors up by four at the time that's power to him I'm hoping he wins game seven tonight. We'll see. But my hard work goes to Kyle Lowry. And then Kyle Lowry trying to prove that this team is still a championship contender, even without Kawhi Leonard. And he is playing his part. You cannot argue that. Great pick there. The bad boy award. Who is your bad boy from this past week in sports? Daniel Howes Jr. You've been a bad, bad boy. Bad, bad boy. <laughs> he has been sent home. He had an unauthorized visitor in his room. He broke bubble protocol. He's been a very naughty boy and is being sent home for it. So I'm going to say him. Yeah, no, good pick. Come on, I got to follow the rules. Plain and simple. My bad boy. I, I like to keep a positive light on this. And I wanted to pick Jimmy Butler so badly. But to try and diversify, I'll pick a, def- a different Heat player. I'll pick Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero, my, my little brother and I have been watching games four and five of the Heat uh, Buck series. 
And he kept asking me, God, why is Tyler Hero on the court? Why is a rookie on the court? You shouldn't have a rookie on the court in these situations. And Tyler Hero in game four hit three enormous threes that almost brought the heat back in uh, to win that game in overtime. And also hit a lot of clutch shots down the stretch in, in, game, in the closeout game in game five. Tyler Hero is a baller. He is a certified scorer. Sure, he has absolutely no experience, but I mean, he's played high school basketball. He's played championship level basketball. He's been, he went to a good school in Kentucky. He knows how to play high level basketball. A lot of rookies, when they get to the league, it's kind of like you have this settling in process of kind of adapting to the new way, you know, new style of things. From what I understood, Tyler Hero just kept approaching everything the way he kept approaching anything else. He didn't really change his behavior. And I think that kind of proves, like, that, that's proven by the fact that he's playing out of his mind and he, he, he's not talking about it. He's not like, yeah, no, why weren't you talking about the sports? Like, no, this is just, this is a regular Tuesday afternoon for him. That, that's kind of bad. The fact that he can just do that as a rookie. So a lot of, a lot of talk around Tyler Hero and his future, but just this past week, the big shots from the rook. That's my bad boy. So moving down the list, the moment of the week, the individual moment, play, whatever that caught your eye uh, and you wanted to bring to the attention of our listeners. For me, it was the first ever touchdown run by Clyde Edwards-Alaire of the Kansas City Chiefs. For anyone who was watching it, broke right through the tackler and then had the one of the most filthy ankle-breaking jukes I've ever seen on a, on a safety. Got himself right into the end zone after that. Uh, first of many for this young guy. Yeah, I completely agree. And then my best moment is the Chiefs versus Texans game as well. But this event was not critically acclaimed as much as I thought it would be. It was the moment of unity at midfield to start the game. I was a fan of it. And you can talk about the symbolism, what they were talking about. But for me, with all the stuff that has gone on over the past, I don't know, six months, these guys are still doing everything in their power to play football and entertain fans. And for two teams, 55 people each to go out to midfield and lock arms in solidarity and unity, including the coaches, that's a powerful statement. I really think it should have been appreciated more than what Kansas City Chiefs fans gave it reason to be. I was a fan of it. I think they should keep doing it. I'm, I like it just from a sportsmanship aspect too, let alone like a social justice thing. It's a pretty cool thing to look at. Like it's, you know, they can compete on the field, but at the end of the day, they're still friends. Like you saw Mahomes and Watson sit next to each other on the bench, like after Watson ran out of bounds. Like that stuff is cool to see and we love it. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and especially a time, you know, like it's been, togetherness and, and you know helping each other is such an important message uh, to be honest shame on the people that booed them I agree with you I thought that was a really cool powerful moment that they had just standing or kneeling together arms linked both teams the players actually I found out were the ones who who led that so uh, kudos to them shout out to them great job a new award that we're going to be giving out as a superlative this this week is called the return of the king if you're a lord of the rings fan you'll understand we're giving this to a player that we scrutinized, maybe gave the most disappointing uh, superlative to in a week past that came back and started playing the exact opposite of how we were talking about them, kind of came out of their shell. Who uh, was your returned king for this first week of it? It's got to be Paul George. We talked about his playoff struggles, his shooting, and that's kind of why the Mavericks were able to take two games from the Clippers, in my opinion, 
But ever since we talked about him, and especially the series against the Nuggets, Paul George looks like his old self. He is scoring. He is making shots. He does not look like the playoff PG we all love to scrutinize before. He's getting back into the swing of things just in the nick of time to then play the Lakers, or at least that's presumptively what we're going to say. It is perfect timing, and if he is playing up to standard, I think the Clippers will beat the Lakers without any question. But if not, I think the Lakers will win. I mean, it's been a while, but we have seen Paul George be the best player on a team against LeBron James in the playoffs before. Um, his, some of his best years in Indiana. So I think if he plays kind of like that, uh, you're right, like, yeah, that's a scary team, even for LeBron. Um, my player that I would essentially like to apologize to is Chris Middleton. <laughs> I, I, I can't even express how much shit I gave Chris Middleton. There, there was definitely a point where I said he shouldn't have been an all-star. There was definitely a point where I said he wasn't a star player. Um, and then Giannis Antetokounmpo went down in game four and I saw a completely different side of Chris Middleton. I saw the, ha- the version of him that looks like an NBA superstar. I mean, he hit crazy shots. He, he, he found his open teammates. He made his teammates better, which is such an important thing of the best player on a team. He stepped up when he needed to. And I absolutely rescind uh, some of the things I said about him specifically uh, how he's not a good player. He is a good player. He is an all-star. Maybe can't be the second best player on a championship team, but he did prove his worth and his value to that Milwaukee Bucks team. So a, a kudos to him. My bad. Messed that one up. Probably, hopefully won't happen again until the next time we have this award. Probably. <laughs> so finally, another consensus award that we voted on, the MVP for this week. We've already talked about him a bunch throughout this episode. Um, but one more kind of coup de gras for Clyde Edwards-Alaire, the rookie running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, 25 rushes for 138 yards and a touchdown. He paced the game. If you watch that, that Thursday night game, I mean, so my little brother and I were watching. He had Pat Mahomes and Tyreek Hill on his fantasy team, and he was just praying to God that they were going to throw the football every single time, and they kept running it. And they kept running it for five yards, and then six yards, and then, and then three, and then six again. He, he kept the pace of the game. He kept the time of possession in favor of the chiefs and he was able to establish his style of play immediately and for a rookie just absolute hats off to you for him to come in and replace a guy like damian williams who had a really great season last year and a really great playoff run and to for the chiefs not to miss a stride with their new rookie like that is a testament to one i think how good the chiefs are and how they're built but also that's a Props to Clyde Edwards-Alaire. First game in the NFL, played lights out, looked phenomenal. Hopefully more to come from him. He was a stud at LSU when I would watch him and Joey Burrow tear up the field. So nothing but the best. And, you know, it's really good to see a promising young star already after literally one game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The future of the running back position and the Kansas City Chiefs seems to be in very good hands with Mr. Clyde Edwards-Alaire. That is our final superlative. And with that, we'll bring this episode of Gym Class All-Stars to an end. Thank you, as always, for listening. Again, feel free to follow us on Twitter, Instagram. Shout us out. If you've got any questions, any, any ideas for future kitchen debates, let us know. We'd love to hear them. And, yeah, we can't wait for next week. I have an ultimatum for anyone listening. If you can tweet at our Twitter account, which is at gym class pod and 
tell us, I don't know, just say hi or I'm listening. I will shout you out in the next episode at the end of it. So give us your support. We love the fact people are listening to this. It's been a fun time. Robbie and I love to hear what you guys have to say. So yeah, if you want to ask us questions, shout us out. But that ultimatum still stands. I'll give you a shout out if you tweet at at gym class pod or send us a direct message but otherwise everyone have a great rest of your day take care and sports are back and they're here to stay football's back regina king for cadillac escalade let's say you make it to the top what's next relish in the glory of your accomplishments okay sure for a minute but then you move forward take the 2021 escalade Cadillac's newest arrival is more than just a celebration of iconic luxury. It's the most technologically advanced Escalade ever. Because arriving is just the beginning. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. Let's say you make it to the top. What's next? Relish in the glory of your accomplishments? Okay, sure, for a minute. But then you move forward. Take the 2021 Escalade. Cadillac's newest arrival is more than just a celebration of iconic luxury. It's the most technologically advanced Escalade ever. Because arriving is just the beginning. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.